If you have a Bible this morning, turn to the last chapter of Matthew, chapter 28. And let's look at the last two verses. Very familiar scriptures to all of us. It's called the Great Commission or the Great Charge. A commission is a charge. It's like you go and do this. And I do believe this. I do not believe the Great Commission is the Great Suggestion. I do not believe a church board needs to vote on whether or not we ought to do this. This is a great commission. I'll give you the title in just a moment. And here's what it says. Jesus' words, he says, Go you, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Let me ask you a question. Are all Christians disciples? Is a Christian a disciple? Are all disciples Christians? How would you answer that? Is everybody who professes to be a Christian a disciple of Jesus? Is everybody who is a disciple of Jesus a Christian? Obvious. I want to talk this morning, next couple of weeks, a little series on for those who want to be a disciple, for those who want to be a disciple, because you notice the words of Jesus was like this. He said, now you go into the world, wherever you are is where the world is. And you go into all the world, that word teach means disciple. You go into all the world and teach all nations. It doesn't mean instruct as much as it does to make something out of somebody. Go into all the world and teach all the nations to observe all things whatsoever I have told you. Let me ask you something. What is the Great Commission? Is the Great Commission like modern-day evangelism to see how many hands you can get raised, to be able to announce to the church that we had 40 decisions last night for Christ? Or there were 10 souls that came to Jesus last night? Is it about numbers and increasing the size? Is it a great commission to see how many decisions you can get to turn from sin to Christ? Because it seems that in my backward years, years ago, long ago, while the church I grew up in, the Christian church was not evangelical so much as the Baptist churches or the other more witnessing type churches were. We were just satisfied with having our own little setup there. But we got a hold of this message of evangelism. You know, in the Christian church, that wasn't something we did, but we started doing it, knocking on doors and witnessing to people and doing a lot of things that would take too long to share. But we did a lot of that, lots and lots of it, hospitals, shopping malls, subdivisions, street corners, wherever. Our goal was to get decisions, to get people to pray the sinner's prayer, which we would accept as being saved, you're going to heaven. And if we could get those kind of decisions, then we felt like we were fulfilling the Great Commission. But is that what the Great Commission says? It obviously is a part of it, because you can't teach anybody anything unless they want to be taught. And you can't teach a sinner how to follow Jesus, because the natural mind... In 1 Corinthians 2, says the natural mind cannot understand spiritual things. So for a sinner to be trained and taught and made a disciple, which it says here, make disciples, they're not disciples. They become Christians, but they don't know anything about how to follow Jesus, and it's our job to teach them. There's not a lot of glamour today in teaching anybody how to follow Jesus. There's a lot of opposition, a lot of disagreement, I don't know about that, but that's the Great Commission. If we could print in the paper every week how many souls we won to the Lord and how many numbers we've got and how big our system is getting, then people can see that. They could come to the meeting and see the numbers of people. But isn't it true, this is where it hurts, this is where the sting comes. Isn't it true that when you get all those people in here, you're supposed to teach them how to be something? Not just teach them how to come and be glad you escaped the sentence of death. Praise God for that. But now that you're here, there's a road ahead of you that you've got to walk. You have no options. 
No substitutes. There's a way God has commissioned that you live. And when the Bible says in various ways, this is the way, walking in it, the Christian, especially the new Christian, has to say, and exactly what is that way? And this is where the problems start. You start saying, now, this is what the Bible says. Now, this is who you are. God loves you, but he has to judge you unless you change. And just because you said, Lord, Lord, Luke 6, 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I told you? That's his commission. Why would you call me your Lord when you don't do what I say? Why would you call me Lord when you don't walk the way I've told you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't even want to go hear what I've got to say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, when I say something and say, I don't know about all that stuff? Why do you call me Lord? Jesus said, many in that last day shall say unto me, Lord, Lord. And he will say, I never knew you. I knew you not. All those years, they did so many different things. They were so busy. But Jesus said, I never knew you. So let's go back to where we started. All of us were once sinful people out in the world living as we chose. And God, by his grace... And loving mercy got your attention, broke your heart because of your sins, gave you the gift of repentance, gave you the faith to believe. It's all a gift. It's all of God. And he put inside of you a new spirit and a new heart, as Ezekiel spoke about. Call it the new birth. And you became a new person. You didn't know much. You weren't real smart spiritually. I know you're a genius in the world, but in spiritual matters, you weren't real, real smart. And when people began teaching you, if you were where you were taught, if you were they made your own teaching, you begin to be disturbed by a lot of things you heard. Isn't that true? You find yourself going, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. You know why you say, I don't know about that? Because your mind has been trained by the world to see things that way. And Paul said, you can no longer be like the world. In Romans 12, 2, he said, you have to be changed by the renewing of your mind. Remember that? He said, don't be conformed anymore to the world. Quit seeing that as the only way to live and the only way to do things and your only hope being. He said, I'm opening up to you a whole new way of life. Be transformed. Turned into a different person. Metamorphosis. To be completely turned over. Changed. Be transformed into what God wants. And it all happens one way, by the renewing of your mind. Every person who becomes discipled by the Lord is a person whose mind is being renewed so that the old things pass away and all things become new. And that's such a challenge to change. And the older you get, the harder it is to change. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks or you can't, you know, you can lead a mule to the water, but you can't make him drink. I never led a mule anywhere. But they say you can lead a mule to water, you can't make him drink. And so I say give him salt pills. Feed him. Give him something he's never had before. Make him see that there is something better than being stubborn. Make him want what's there. Pray that God will give us a heart. Give all these folks that are coming to hear that God gives them a heart to hear the word. And not only a heart to hear it, but to comprehend it, to understand it, to, to deal with it, to put it together, take it home and, and, and wrestle with it and see what it's saying and, and then have the courage to say, all right, I'll do that. Boy, this is going to cost me. Oh, it's going to cost me a bunch of stuff. friends, misunderstanding. I'm going to be, per but I'll do it because all that live godly in Christ, in Christ, will suffer persecution. And a lot of people don't want to be a disciple in that dimension. I don't know if I want to go that far with this Christian stuff because it's too easy to find a nice, comfortable church, and they're all designed to be comfortable. There's nothing wrong with that. And to hear things the way I like to hear it and just sit there and enjoy the thing. And yet God doesn't make us comfortable. The church's philosophy today is make them comfortable, make them happy. If you make them comfortable and happy, they, uh, they don't mind. 
It's when you begin to stir the people up, when you begin to stir up your pure minds, and you begin to think the way God thinks. Because he said in Isaiah 55, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Remember that? He said, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and therefore your ways are not my ways. And God calls us out of this miry clay of this world of darkness, knowing we're like that. Knowing the confusion that we have and the belligerence and the indifference, now I'm talking about myself, the vileness, knowing what kind of creature he's getting and brings us and plants us in his courts. And there we are. We're his people. He saved us. He even put, he put his spirit inside of me. Boy, what a confusion is going. Oh, God said, oh, but how can that be? This is, oh, that's, I never heard of, oh, <laughs> And yet there's an appetite in all of that to go hear the word and keep fighting, keep feeding, keep wrestling, keep dealing with, oh, God. You know what? God is changing you from a complacent worldly person in a complacent Christian atmosphere to being a disciple, a follower. Your ways are worthless. They're to be judged. His ways are to be praised. The question is, are you willing to do it? See, making disciples... Making disciples out of those who attend church is not easy. Again, there's no glamour in all of this. Who wants to go somewhere and, be, and sit for an hour and 12 minutes and be taught and instructed in the Word? I can do that at home. You don't. Well, I can do that on the radio. You don't. If we can get you in here, you will. That's the function. One of the things he said in the church is pastors and teachers. It's our commission. It's my charge, our charge. You're here to hear. To take heed what you hear. Didn't he say that? Take heed how you hear it. But we're here to hear something and to say something. We talk and we listen. And we trust that God in that environment, in that midst, is doing his work of changing us from what we were to what he wants. So that when we walk out that door and go home or in the world out there, we're different kind of people than we used to be. So the Great Commission is not about making more members in a church to get socially involved and march and protest and be political. That's not the commission of the church. The commission of the church is to make disciples. It's as simple as that, not to feed the hungry, not to do all these socially good things to do. Christians will do those things. But that's not the commission of the church. It's to make disciples. How? By teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have said. Now, what does it mean when it says teaching them to observe? Well, that's simple to understand, isn't it? Teaching them, teaching them to observe teaching them to not only look at it and listen to it, but to teach them to do it. How many of you know a preacher can't make you do anything? If he tries, he gets the ax. But if he doesn't try to get you to do it, then he shouldn't be there in the first place. The commission is not to be popular, to be famous, quite the opposite. The commission is to make disciples. I don't think everybody that enters in a church building in this country, and there's millions of people right now, well, in our time zone, there, might, there probably is several million people in a church who do not want to be what Jesus commissioned us to be because of the persecution, the difficulty, the difference it makes in our life. It's just we're established people. We like it our way. We don't want to change, and yet he comes along and requires a change. What is a disciple? Before we get to the teaching, what is a disciple? A disciple, by definition, is a pupil, a student. That's not the only definition, because a disciple also is a follower. I got this definition out of a Greek dictionary. It says this, a disciple means not only to learn, but to become attached to one's teacher and to become his follower in doctrine and conduct of life, that is, of Jesus. Is it possible to have... Now, be gentle here, okay. Is it possible to have a church full of Hamiltonites? 
I know, I know. But I mean, is it possible to have a church full of somebodyites? Of course it is. Because you become followers of a man. You become followers of a personality. You attach yourself to it. You derive great benefit or enjoyment from hearing this personality speak. They're very eloquent or, or they're smooth or fluid or whatever with their words. And, and, and you just seem to have a lot of pleasure in listening to some people speak. It's not so much what they say. It's just the fact that they say things the way they say it. Some of the greatest preachers I've heard that I like to listen to were the old fundamental Baptist, R.G. Lee. They could put words together. I mean, I don't know anybody who preached like that. I don't know anybody that can put it together like that. That fellow had it. He could preach. I've only listened to a couple of his messages, but I think, how could a human being be that good? And yet the problem is, a lot of times, you travel great distances just to hear that person, to follow that person, and then you'll begin to say, well, that couldn't be right because that's not what he said. Well, that couldn't be right because that ain't what Brother Lee said. And so you come along and you say, well, what does the Bible say? Well, I'm sure Brother Lee wouldn't say nothing but what the Bible says. Well, what does your Bible say? Well, whatever his says. No, what does yours say? See, and so you have to find out for yourself. Everybody in this room, if you have a Bible, you're one person who has a responsibility to relate to God. You relate to me only in the sense of coming to hear and regard and respect the hearing of the word. But you answer to, and you're obligated to, Jesus. My goal, our goal in ministry is to make disciples unto Jesus by proclaiming what Jesus taught and say, you must do the same thing. And people don't like that must part. If we'd put ought in there, see, we got auto clubs, if we could say, well, we ought to do this and we ought to do that. Well, you ought to do what he said. That ain't what he said. He said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Because, quite frankly, if you're a pupil or you're a follower of Jesus, it means that you accept, if you're following him, you accept his terms you accept his views, and you have a willingness to do what he says. Or, as far as I am concerned, you're not a disciple. You're a good church member. You're a nice person, like you and all of that. But that does not make you a disciple any more than going to a good Christian church makes you a Christian. Amen? Amen. I believe we're in the last days. Amen. And I believe it's the day that we better watch out for getting complacent and getting settled into whatever we believe because that's good enough. It is not. And as long as there's air to breathe and there is sun to shine and there are doors to open and meetings to be had, we must proclaim Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life. Amen. Hamilton isn't, Smith isn't, R.G. Lee isn't, Jesus alone is. All the rest of us are nothing more than hoses. Thank God for hoses. I've washed many cars and watered a lot of uh, tomato plants. But a hose is a waste of time if it's got holes in it. If it leaks, or you turn it on, the thing blows right in your face. One of them little splits. About that a hose is only a thing that is used to make something else work. That's what all of us are. We're a waste of time unless we're hooked up to a spigot. If spigot's a little too southern, unless you're hooked up to a hydrant of some sort. It's all about water, isn't it? The water of life is Jesus Christ. Without him, we're just shiny hoses. Meeting with the first church of hoses. Pretty hoses. Sparkling hoses. Expensive hoses. But we're nothing. A disciple is either a follower of Jesus or he only listens. And when I say be doers of the word and not hearers only, you know, you've heard that. We've all heard that a lot. But a disciple is a follower. Now, what did Jesus say to teach them? I just said it a while ago, but let me ask you so you can join in here and participate with me this morning. I don't mind you saying amen if you got one in there this morning. Or, oh, me, if you don't have one. 
What did Jesus say to teach? Whatever he said, right? Now, in order to teach somebody what he said, one must be first taught. If a man was going to teach you to do what Jesus said, there's two things involved here. One, he must have heard it first himself, and he must himself be a doer of it. If I don't live what I'm preaching, then I'm a hypocrite. I got no right to be here. But if I do live what I've said, and you know, you can ask my wife, I'm not perfect. Why are you laughing? But anyway, <laughs> I'm not perfect. But I know what I believe. I know what I've been believing for 40 years. But the Great Commission says, you who teach, first be taught. Study to show yourself approved. Search the scriptures. What he's saying, First Timothy 4, the last couple of verses, give yourself totally to these things, reading and studying, exhortation, so forth. He said, for as long as you do these things, you ensure not only salvation for yourself, but for all those that hear you. So this is important. <clears throat> but it's got to start at the top. You have to learn it. You have to search it. You get the things right so that what you're saying, you don't have to go back and say it again. And then you live it yourself. Otherwise, you're not fit to be followed. Amen. You or me. Jesus said, go into all the world, disciple all nations, and then teaching them. Teaching them to what? Teaching them to observe. What do you suppose observe is supposed to mean? To do. Observe to do is a way of saying teach them to see why they should do this why God commissions it. It's a test of your heart and your loyalty to Jesus, but teach them why they should do it. Teach you young folk why you should live it now in the days of your youth. Teach you married folks with all the complications that have suddenly propped up in your life. Teaching them what Jesus has to say about things in your life. Teach you about his promises, 8,000 promises in the Bible. Promises for everything. We're left never alone without hope. Never. Because the Bible in your lap has a promise for everything. And we teach that. Psalm 103, it says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And then verse 2 says, and forget not all of his benefits. Now, benefit, you know what that is. This is something you get by the good grace of God. You can't earn this. You don't even deserve this. But he gives it to you. If you bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, what's the first thing he said? Who forgives what? Forgives all of them. Man, I had a bunch. My goodness, I had so many. They're all gone. What's the second thing he said? Same verse, same sentence. He heals all your diseases. You can't find a handful of people in any church that really believes that. They acknowledge that. They recognize that. But far as observing that, so what do you do? You teach it. You teach. This is why you should do it. God isn't playing games. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent or take back what he said. He doesn't say, I'm the Lord that heals you, and then turn around and say, well, I don't want to heal you. He doesn't say that. All his promises are yes and amen. amen. So you teach that. You want eyes to be opened. You want a person to get so in tune with the Lord that he loves the Lord, he appreciates the Lord, is getting real attached to Jesus. So that Jesus becomes Lord, L-O-R-D, or controller, master of his life. Who is the Lord of a racehorse? The jockey. Why? Because he controls him. The horse does what he says. He stops. He says stop. He giddy up and go. When he says go, he makes a left turn, a right turn, gee, haw. Well, he doesn't do a gee and a haw on a racehorse. You got to go back to that mule to do that, but... You teach. As Paul said, you labor in the word. Why? Because this is the only thing on planet earth that God said he watches over to perform.
It's his word. Psalmist said in Psalm 138, he said, he honors his word even above his name. Jesus and the book of Deuteronomy said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It is all about the word. He said in the Deuteronomy 32, towards the end of that verse, he said, the word of God is your life. This is what it's all about. This, in the end of time, the book that God will judge us all from is the book you're holding, the Bible. And the things that are there are the things we're supposed to teach. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I may be smarter than the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the poor Pentecostals. Teach me, teach me thy way so that I can walk in your truth. I hope you do too, but I can't give an account for you. It's me I have to deal with. I have to make sure that when I look into the perfect law of liberty, I don't soon forget what I was shown or what I was heard because that just means I wasn't hungry for it. But I want to be able to keep it in my heart and that activity of the Holy Spirit to, to bring recall back to me so that I can not forget what I was taught. So Because I want to live like that. That's what a disciple is. This is what stirs in the heart of disciples. I'm not talking about church membership. Churches are full of lost people. Take it any way you want to. I'm talking about when people come to the Lord to be changed and to be turned into different creatures and become a different kind of a person. Turn to Colossians 1. I want you to turn to three or four verses of Scripture and just join me. Colossians 1 at the end of the chapter and verse 28. This is what Paul said. Whom we preach, warning every man. Why would he do that? Because man naturally gravitates to complacency. Take away the sting of the word and a man will desire the softness of something besides the word. He becomes complacent and indifferent. I don't care if you're old or you're young. But he said, he said, whom we preach, Jesus, talking about Jesus, warning every man and teaching, there's that word, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man how? That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto also I labor. The word means exhaust myself. It's my day job. It's my all the time job. It's my call. It's what you, Paul was saying. It's what I'm called to do. It's the only thing I want to do. There's nothing else I can do or want to do. It is this. And what I'm here to do is to see to it, if I can, to present all of you perfect before the Lord. Perfect. Nobody's perfect. That's not exactly what the word means. Word means fully completed, finished. The work that started got finished and you were ready to be offered. And it is the goal of ministry and watching out over the sheep to see to it that people are on that path, that they're trying. I don't care if they struggle. If they go, I don't know about it. I don't know. Tuesday, thank you. I don't care. You do that all you want to, but just stay with the word. Because in the end, it's not me you deal with. I have to face the same Jesus you do, but it's him we have to deal with. And I want to hear him say, well done. I don't want to be well done. I want to hear him say, well, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Turn to Acts 20 and verse 20. Acts 20, 20, Paul is here preaching to the elders at Ephesus. He came by to see them, and this was his final farewell speech to them. He said in verse 20, this is what is involved in making disciples and how I kept back nothing that was profitable from you. Do you understand what that means? Paul said, whether you liked it in season or you didn't like it out of season, I told you what the Lord had shown me because if you will heed it, you will profit by it. And I kept nothing back from you that was profitable. And look down in verse 26. Wherefore, 
I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all of it, the whole counsel of God. I didn't hold anything back from you, he said. I know there were things I said that you didn't want to hear that you might not have appreciated. But I told you. I told you because I know it's true. Doesn't mean that people will heed it because you said it. You talk about dating, for example. You can talk about boys and girls getting together and getting up close. And all. If you don't think there's any danger in that, you are totally ignorant. Capital I, your preacher said so. If you think you can mess around with hormones and things that have no place in the place that people are doing these things, you're really ignorant or you don't want to know the truth. I just want to be cool and groovy, and I want to, well, you want to sin, or you want to be a disciple? Do you want to live on God's terms, which is what Christianity is? You want to live on Christ's terms, or you want to live on your own terms and have excuses? Because God will judge all of that. If you don't think he will, then you're still ignorant. Ignorant might be a strong word. Let me say, you're not, you're still not as smart as you should be. How's that? But he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Look at verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of 30, oh, three years, that's by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone day and night with tears. And now, brethren, he said to the elders, I commend you into the grace of God, and so forth. What a gentle yet strong man he must have been. Not trying to hurt people, but just seeing what people need. Is it not true that when your youngsters are growing up and you're a parent, and I've, I've been here, that sometimes you know way more what is right than they do? Way more what is right than they do. And they think you were born under a rock in the dark ages. Now, here's the question. Do you have the courage knowing that if you cave into that, you're giving in to a philosophy and a system of living that God will have to judge? Because they're about to get in trouble because of your compromise. Or will you say as some parent, not all parents, but some, a few parents, you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let you do that. No. I can't do that. Because for me to do that would be to go against my own personal convictions about you. I have to give an account for your life. You're my son. You're my daughter. No, you cannot. Would to God, as we look back at some of the mistakes we've seen, that they'll linger forever, I guess. Would to God we'd had enough courage at specific times in our life to look our children in the eye and say, absolutely not. They would have thrown a hissy fit. Y'all know what a hissy fit is? That's a bad fit. That's a squalling on the floor, kicking and screaming and yelling type of fit for which a spanking is absolutely deserved at that point. That's right. That's right. And then let the welfare people knock on the door with all they want to. He said, I haven't shunned declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I held nothing back from you. I've warned you every day, three years. I've been here. There wasn't a time I didn't stop warning you. You better be careful. I'm telling you, there's a real devil walking around looking for who he can devour. He's looking for that person who is who's a rebel because rebels are not observers. That's right. A rebel is not an observer. To observe the things of Jesus as you are taught the things of Jesus, a rebel says, I won't do that. You can't teach rebels. Rebels are for judgment. And God judges them. Well, and if that's a little strong, how about chastisement? Because Christians do get chastised, don't they? Aren't you glad he chastises you when he does? Because he doesn't chastise sinners, he chastises saints. Whom he loves, he whops. He chastises to turn them away from their sins. 1 Corinthians 11, at the, the communion chapter in the Bible, he says, uh, if you would judge yourself, you would not be judged. It's not like God wants to judge you. He wants you to judge yourself. But he says, when we are judged, 
we are chastened by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the rest of the world. A loving God doesn't want to judge you. He wants you to change. If you don't want to change, then his very nature requires judgment. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have said. Turn to Mark 6. You're real close to Mark 6. Just go back a couple books, three books. Mark chapter 6. What did Jesus say in verse 34? It says, in Jesus, it begins, and Jesus saw much people. Does your Bible say that? Jesus, in his ministry, this is an unlimited power. God did not give him the spirit by measure. He did not have a portion. He had it all. There was nothing impossible to him, yet he, Jesus, was limited in what he could do because of people's unbelief. Are you in Mark 6? Is in verse 6 he said he could there do no mighty work except lay his hands on a few sick folk? Notice, in verse 6, he said, Jesus, with all of his power, he could there do no mighty work. Why, Jesus would have gone in the hospitals and cleaned. That's not what it said. It said in his hometown, he could there do no mighty work except lay his hands on a few sick folk and heal them, and he marveled at their unbelief. Nothing's changed in the world. It could still be in the church today, as he said, because this is what we are to observe. He taught this. If he could there do no mighty work because of their unbelief, then what happens in our assembly if we have a similar unbelief? What happens here? Nothing. We just talk about it and hear about it and wonder about it, but don't get healed. And we go out of here, well, if God heals, why aren't they healed? Well, that's just like saying if God saves, why aren't all the people in the world saved? they got to believe it. They have to believe. You can't be saved because God saves. Did Jesus come to the world to save sinners? Then why aren't sinners saved? Because they don't believe. Did Jesus come to heal the sick? He did. Why aren't all the sick healed? They don't believe. They say they believe. Just like they said, Lord, Lord. But it's not in their hearts. So you teach it. Because he said, observe this too. Hello? All things whatsoever I have told you, teach it. Teach it to the people. Drill it in season, out of season. Drill them. Aggravate them. Stir them up. Just get after them good. This is the labor you got to go through, he said. Make disciples. Don't leave them alone. God help you. Don't leave them alone just to become not a river of water, but a a swamp. Don't let them get complacent. Boy, it's hard to arouse. Once you get settled in and you kind of lose track of where you were and maybe even where you're going, it is real hard, trust me with this, to get you back where you ought to be. Because you get comfortable. You get complacent, as I said a while ago. There's just a human nature that goes to that. You know, after 30 years, I've heard all that. And you sort of get settled down, you see. You don't live anything anymore. You don't promote much of anything anymore. You just exist with the memory of 30 years ago. That's all you got. Yet a disciple is never, never a time God isn't working on him or her. Go to verse 34. And Jesus, it said that he saw much people. These same ones, and was moved with compassion upon them. And what did he then do? What choice did he make to do? He began to teach them. What did he teach them? What they didn't know. Would you agree to that? Did he not teach them what they did not know? He sat down and he was always teaching. He's sitting down and teaching and explaining things to his disciples. To the ones who weren't heirs of salvation, he spoke in parables. Because he said, it is not given unto them to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to you it is given. Therefore, I speak that way to them. They're not going to get it. They have eyes to see. They can't see. They have ears to hear. They can't hear. They're the most religious people in the land, but they're not part of the kingdom of God. 
You can't teach those people. All they want to do is argue and debate and be negative and finger point. You can't teach people like that. There are those who want to be taught, and God will send them to you, and those are the ones you teach. Because they're the ones who will become disciples unto Jesus and not disciples of a religious system. They will be what God wants. Can you find the book of Ecclesiastes? It's in the middle, a little bit to the right. Turn to the middle of your Bible and look for Ecclesiastes. Right after Mark. No, it's not. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Look at verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 9 through 11. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. That's for himself. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. You know, how many of y'all know what a goad is? Let me tell you what a goad is. How many of y'all know what an oxen is? We're out of our territory this morning a little bit, but... In another country, in Israel, the, the big heavy duty of the plowing and stuff was done by oxen. And they had this long, st- speary-looking stick, had a sharp point, go them, you know, get them going. That's what preachers do. Amen. <laughs> That's what you do. You goad people. Sometimes you say it in such a way that they go, what? You goad them. You stick that nail in them. Mm. Oh, I'll go to another church. Go on. Nobody tied you in here. But if you're going to come, you're going to give heed. You're going to hear it anyway. It's what he said the preacher did. Not only was he wise, but he found words that advanced wisdom. And he used those words to the people, and he used the goad to make sure they listened to it. I loved that. I thought that was, I knew you all would like that. But a lack of teaching today in the church, you know what happens? When the church is not really taught today, but just amused or entertained by clever sermons or we're taught about about the latest social issues and problems and the latest wrongs in society somewhere, the hunger drives. If that's what becomes the message and the goal of our church, or we have a little 25-minute sermonette, and and that's about the extent of it because people don't like to sit too long. If that's the extent of it, let me ask you all a question. Just an honest question. How then will we become disciples? How can we be followers of what we don't know what to follow? So I'm following Jesus. Well, what did he do? He said, if you're going to follow me, follow me on my terms. That's what he said. He said, follow me on my terms. So then, concerning discipleship, let's get started this morning now. What are the various requirements in the Bible, in the New Testament, what are the various requirements for discipleship? Well, there's probably more than I will share, but let me share with you five of them. I won't get to them all today. and maybe one of them, but the various requirements for discipleship. First of all, and we'll see in just a moment, a brief one, not very long, but disciples will continue in his word. That's John 8, 31 and 32. We will continue in his word. We'll become word-oriented. Secondly, will be loyal, reliable to God, faithful. Thirdly, we'll take up our cross and follow him. Fourthly, a disciple will not quit. They will endure to the end. A true disciple, they will endure to the end. And fifthly, this will take a whole meeting because it's much more complicated than people realize, but they will bear fruit. They'd be fruit bearers. Let's go back to that first one that I just spoke of. Go to John chapter 8. One of the characteristics, defining points of a disciple that distinguishes them from a non-disciple. John eight thirty one and 32. Then Jesus said unto those Jews which believed on him, 
If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Did he say that? And you shall know the truth, and you shall be made free. Free means you're no longer bound. You're no longer held back. You're no longer restrained because of fear of what people think or you're you know, like the lady that came to me years ago up in Indianapolis in a meeting I had up, up there. I was teaching on Halloween. I think I'm going to do it again this year too for you younger folks' sake. I am teaching on Halloween, which, you know, for most people in most churches, just a little fun thing for the kiddies. Anyway, I went through the background of Halloween, how it started, where it came from, the origins of it, what is implied, and who does it, who promotes it, and how it got in the church. And a couple of ladies came up after it was over, and they were kind of like, can we talk to you? I'm thinking, well, there's a lot of people here, but maybe we can do it right here. Yeah, go ahead. They mentioned the church they were in. It's a pretty big, well-known church, I guess. I don't know. We are chairman of the Halloween party committee. They were honest. Brother Hamilton, we didn't know what you just said. We'd never heard that. We'd never been taught, but I see it. I believe it's true. I'm going to go home and get the encyclopedia out and maybe go to a library and just get a, get a history book out. Like I said, don't believe me. Find out for yourself. I'm just here to go, I mean, to, uh, uh, to inform you. But she said, we were in chairman of that committee, and we don't know what to do. And I said, well... What are you going to do? He said, well, I'm sure this is the end of our church membership because it's held in such a big deal in our church that if we now back off because, well, the Word says that the people who don't care what the Word says are going to say, well, I can't believe, and they're going to be ostracized and persecuted and put out. And you know I'm telling you the truth. I never heard from them, so I don't know what happened. But anytime you're in something that's just settled, it's been settled for centuries. And suddenly God gives light, maybe one time, but he gives light and opens eyes, and we see that, you know, something we're doing is not really not right. God can't honor this. We think he has, but he doesn't. Now, will we change? No. See, there's people who want to be disciples, but not really disciples. They want to hear the truth, but they don't really want to pay that kind of a price. Why should I give up the church I grew up in? I could tell you some stories about the Christian church I grew up in that when I got saved and said amen one day. Amen. But I said it, amen. And you would have thought, bless God, who was that over there? And it was from that side of the church over there somewhere. But who's over there? Tommy's over there. Well, then you know where it came from. <laughs> See, when you're in your hometown, you're a Tommy. You're not a Tom. Well, the first time you raise your hand, somebody thought maybe you wanted to, you were sick or need to be dismissed from the assembly or something. Bible says lift up holy hands unto God. But we just don't do that. We don't do that. And we don't do a lot of things that we learn to do. And when we learn to do them, then we were really put, we had a church split. I don't think that's wonderful and great. I don't know how it could have been avoided either. You put new wine in old wineskins, you're going to get some bubbles and some bursting. Jesus said, I don't think I came to bring peace on this earth. I came to bring a sword, didn't he? This is going to set you apart from everybody. Sometimes the members of your own family, Matthew 10. It's just going to separate. You can't avoid it. If you want to be a disciple, you're going to have to knuckle down and make a big decision. Because you know what's going to happen if you live like that. But he said in verse 32, he said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? You begin to have peace. I'm no longer afraid of what people think. I know what people think. I know what people say. I know how people can act and be very rude and ugly. I know that. It doesn't change the message, does it? It only verifies it. But that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. If you want to live the way he said to live, then that is exactly what's going to happen. See, Jesus said you must continue. Didn't he? If you continue in the word. Where'd you get the word? 
Well, I used the Bible as a word, and somebody taught it, and you heard it, and then you had to make a decision to do it. So if you observe it or continue in the word, then you begin living to what it said, about what it said. You heard it. You see it. You digress and figure things out and come to an understanding, and now you're accountable for he that knoweth. Help me. He that knoweth to do good. And so your brain starts thinking, boy, this is going to get, I'm going to lose my job over this. Why did I come here? Come here and maybe, just maybe, to be a disciple. Or to find out if you want to be one. Or to find out if you don't. See, it's not enough, folks. It's not enough to just begin. It's not enough to grip the plow. I believe the truly saved and born again will endure to the end and will hold on to that plow. But I do not believe that everybody who came to the Lord raised their hand or came forward. I do not believe they all were saved. Listen to me. I've I've done this too many years. It doesn't take long to find out who's hungry and who wants the word and who does not. Who gets tired of it, doesn't want to hear any more of it, same old, same old. Just some people don't want to hear it. There's some people who like that song, sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. That's vacation Bible school. Sing them over again to me. See, it's not enough to begin, but you have to keep your hands on the plow. The word continue means to remain with. You don't give up and quit. You feel like you want to. You, you think, I can't do this, and it's too hard, and why? I don't know. But you've got to do it. See, the Bible says, for the time will come. In 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3, he said, for the time will come. In this process of all that I'm talking about going on, for the time will come in the last days. We're here now when they will not endure sound Doctrine, where doctrine means teaching. They will not endure sound doctrine, but will, after their own lusts, their own desires, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and while remaining religious, they will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to fables. The word fables is man's tales. The concoctions of men who rest the scriptures to their own destruction because they take the sting out of the word so that everybody's doing it. Oh, you're all right. Everybody, you're all right. You're just, you know, you're going, you're all right. Everything's fine. Everything is good. Remember the time in John chapter 6 when Jesus was talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Remember that? And all these people, remember they turned and went away from him? It's a picture. Now, there is a parallel to this in the last days. A lot of people signed up for the long haul, but bailed out halfway there. Why? Because the demands of discipleship were greater than their fleshly minds wanted to pay. And in John chapter 6 and verse 60, they said to Jesus, this is a hard saying. What you taught is hard. Now, today, this political sissy britches age that we're in, britches, pants, sissy pants age that we're in, they would say, well, now, Jesus, you could have understood that these folks are not quite ready for that, and you could have said it a little bit better. And I mean, I I think you offended some of those people. So Jesus should have turned around and said, uh, you know, uh, uh, get your houses in order. You're going to die. Remember one time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Master, did, did you know that the, those people were offended by what you said? You know what Jesus said to them? He said, leave them alone. That's not who the Great Commission is for. Leave them alone. They be the blind leading the blind. Not only them, but who they lead, who follows them, are going to fall into a ditch. Jesus said they travel the whole world and make one proselyte. And when they get done indoctrinating that proselyte, he is twice as much a child of hell as they are. Whew, that's pretty strong. 
that won't sell tapes or get you on TV. But they said, Lord, this is John 6. He said, this is a hard saying. This is a hard saying, Lord. And what Jesus said to them, he said, does this offend you? Will you go with them? They turned around and left. Jesus said, will you go with them? Remember what Peter said? At the end of John chapter 6, he said, Lord, where would we go? Thou hast the words of life. There's nowhere else to get it. We're wounded. We're bleeding and hurt all over. we got bruises and knots all over our heads, and we're flailing around here, scratched and beat up, trying to run away from you, but there's just nowhere else to go. We're just going to have to make up our minds to keep our hands on this plow. You got a better one than this one? You know, one with nice cushiony grips. You got one with a good Honda motor on it that, you know, all these stumps and rocks I keep hitting on these things going through life like this here. You got something a little more convenient? No, no, that's what you get. This is a hard saying. Does that dating message, is that hard? I don't answer me. I don't want y'all to shout me down, but this age, this age, out of wedlock births, venereal diseases, oral diseases, as well as all the other kind, has never been a time in history put together equal to that that we have today. It's like people are unlimited now in the expression of their sexuality and sinfulness. I don't know who taught you all that. I don't know who told you in any church that you can do that and be in good shape with God, but you can't do that. And if you do that, you're really lost. You're lost. If you don't want to serve Jesus and keep your life pure, let's move on. How about holidays? Should we teach on holidays? What religious holiday has not been fulfilled? All the Jewish holidays have been fulfilled. People still want to practice Jewish holidays. They still want to celebrate the Sabbath thing. They still want to do Yom Kippur. They were all types. They pointed to Jesus. He fulfilled it. That's not a thing we celebrate anymore. Or Santa Claus. That's a myth. An M-Y-T-H. It is not in the Bible. The only time in the Bible men gave gifts to men was when two witnesses in, Re in Revelation 11 were killed and their bodies lay in the street and the wicked world gave gifts to each other in celebration of it. And yet people say, oh, I don't want to hear that. You should hear that. You should hear that. Would you give me one more verse of Scripture? Would you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12? 1 Samuel 12, look at verse 14. Continue in the word. Teach the word. Stay with the word. 1 Samuel 12, verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him, this is to you, Shelbyville Christian Assembly, out there in the electronic world, whoever, wherever. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice, and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. Then shall both you and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. I think the Lord is trying to tell us something. I do. I believe it's real clear to me what the Lord wants to say and what he wants us to understand. It's a matter of choice. God's word, like my thumb, is what he offers. My palm is my will. I live by my will. I'm what I am this morning by the choices I've made just like you boys are and all y'all. I've heard what he said. I haven't always chosen it, but if I want to follow him, I have to do this. And the only way you know that I've done this is if I live like that. Anybody can say, oh, I love Jesus. You love him if you live like him. 
Because the Bible said, by this shall all my disciples be known in John 13, if you have love one for another. I believe God is teaching us and alerting us and warning us in this hour, this last hour, the time of examining yourself now, today, to get your hearts right with God. Make sure they are right if they are anyway. And thank God for his good word. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your words would fall into our hearts like you describe in the Bible as dew or as rain, something that causes growth, something that is kind and useful, something which changes our natures and changes our, our manner of life makes us agreeable with you, that your word would do that to us. I know as I stand here today, there are people who need to hear your word, who need to pay attention to it. I ask you to open their heart even as you've opened our hearts, that you would bless them even as you have blessed us. We give you thanks this morning for allowing us to meet, to be here one more day in our life, one more day. We've heard it again. We've had one more chance. Ask you to bless this word to us. Keep us. Inspire us in Jesus' name. Amen.